Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jason Anderson of Pro Soccer Wire. How's it going, Jason? Uh, I would say fatigued, but good. Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe that's just where we're, we're just running on fumes a little that's bit, which is kind of funny because uh, things have really just begun. So this is like the wild and wacky weeks of international soccer this summer. We do finally have CONCACAF W games to talk about. Um, maybe that's a good place to start for you, Jason. Was there a little bit of like finally relief competitive games? I would say for me, I was watching the second half of the second friendly against Columbia. And I was thinking to myself, let's get to the real stuff now a little <laughs> bit, but is it, do you feel a little bit like relieved to just have some, at least one game on the board here? Uh, yeah. I mean, getting, getting the actual competition underway when it's, the games are real. I, I think the U S kind of in those friendlies, they kind of hit a wall of what they were going to learn from those games uh, right around the time frame you're talking about is where they, I feel like it was just like, yeah, this is all they're going to get out of this. Um, so now it's not a learning thing. It's literally like, this is the whole thing you've been preparing for, um, which is, which is nice. Um, it, it seems like um, the word on the ground is that uh the tournament is pretty pretty well prepared for uh, down there between uh, CONCACAF as well as, you know, involving organizations like Tigrace and mm-hmm. Monterey as they have the home stadiums. Um, those are well-oiled machines. The kind of the kind of thing, frankly, we don't get a lot in mm-hmm. uh, American women's soccer um, where these organizations are this big and this capable. Um, so all of that stuff is, is kind of exciting. Um, the games got weird very almost immediately because yes. we have to. It's Concacaf. It's our yes. solemn duty, I guess, as a, a region. But um, still, it's nice that at least the games are real. Um, it's not the learning phase anymore. Yeah, I guess maybe the relief for me a little bit is, and we'll get into this when we talk about the United States first game. Is with these Columbia games, there was a little bit of like, okay, they win three nothing, they win two nothing. Did we see a lot of progress? Did we see a lot of changes in form? No, but they won. But that doesn't really matter, right? You don't play friendlies to win them, I guess, unless you are the U.S. But um, see this game against Haiti, which the United States does win three to nothing. It's at least nice when you walk away from a performance where you're like, well, that was weird to at least walk away with the three points job done. This is the goal, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so let real break, quick breakdown of, of what we got. In the three nil win over Haiti, two goals from Alex Morgan in the first half, one in the 16th minute off a cross from Mallory Pugh, one in the 23rd off a cross from Kelly O'Hara and Midge purse kind of got the insurance goal at the very end of the match. Uh, according to the U S email unassisted, which, uh, I guess that does make sense. There was a ricochet, I suppose. Um, and then in between, let's say goal number two by the U S and goal number three, a soccer game was played. It was kind mm-hmm. of one of those things where it was very uh, back and forth. There were some moments of concern for the U S Haiti does miss a penalty, which was a clear penalty. They also have a red card overturned that I'm not entirely sure about that decision. We got VAR involved, which as we know is not always the smoothest reintegration in these international tournaments for the women's game. Um, so maybe let's start. Let's start with this. Let's start with the two goals, the two Alex Morgan goals. Well, and actually all three of this, this is true. Crosses, just crosses into the box, get the ball mm-hmm. out wide, send a cross into the box. Is that too basic, Jason, or is that just what they need to do against this type of defensive structure? Uh, they definitely need more of a mix. Um, we'll we'll get to an even uh, bigger culprit of too many crosses, uh, I think, later based on uh, what we talked about before the show. But yeah, this was too many crosses from the U.S. Um, and it, it's it's an interesting thing to watch them try and attack right now because we got very used to how they played with Macario mm-hmm. as the nine. And it meant that Sophia Smith and Mal Pugh were getting a, a far bigger... Um, share of the the goal scoring opportunities um, and, and really the responsibility was falling mm-hmm. on them uh, as much as it was Macario. It was kind of an even everyone's got to create, everyone's got to get assists. 
And the way it played with Morgan was much more traditional where Morgan is taking um, or, or the team is really putting on Morgan. Yeah. You have to be the goal scorer and these two are going to set you up. Um, and so it, it was kind of, there, there were things about the way they went about the game that were really smart. Um, I liked, I, I continue to be fascinated by the fullbacks getting into the half space and mm-hmm. the, the um, central midfielders finding opportunities to get out wide. That's unpredictable. Um, teams are going to have a hard time dealing with that, but we still saw the, I, I think it, this isn't a tactical problem so much as a choice problem players mm-hmm. in the game, the, the matrix of choices they're having to go through, they're settling on hit across uh, too often. Um, on the good news, the good front is it's low crosses. They're, they're better yes. quality crosses. They're in behind. They're not just getting 40 yards within goal and hoofing it hopefully towards the box and seeing what happens, but it's still not the ideal. You'd want to see a more diverse attack right now, especially with this group. Yeah, I think maybe a good way to put it, and you can tell me if you agree with me, is that especially that first goal, the cross was the right thing to do there. With the the amount of space that Morgan had, Pew made the right call to do that. And it seemed like in those moments when the cross was the right thing to do, that's when they scored, right? But mm. for you know 75 minutes of the match, maybe that wasn't the right thing to do. And that's why they struggled to, I mean, we're not, I don't have the expectation of them running the scoreline up. That's really, again, not what this competition is for, nor do I think any team in this group is going to let that happen. Um, certainly with the context that we're going to talk about a little bit later, but I was also a little bit surprised. Let's maybe let's flip this next question. Cause we'll say like the first half hour of the game, the first 25 minutes of the game was a lot of the U S possessing the ball. Um, and I was struck a little bit, and I think there's positives and negatives to this, which we saw in the second half. Uh, they were the U.S., especially in the set at the center backs. This is maybe the next topic of conversation. They were waiting, really waiting for the right pass. They were not mm-hmm. above. And let's say, you know, let's be honest, maybe after that 16th minute goal, they are now the game state has changed, but they were not really trying to catch Haiti unaware. They were not trying to probe that back line by stretching things out. There was no real high risk, high reward, long ball movement. It was very, very methodical and they would wait. They would pass it to each other until they saw something that they liked. Same question to you, Jason, smart or too much. I I think I've been thinking about this um, really all day and I I feel like I'm coming down on um, there is an argument for smart in terms of, this game was played at, I think, I think um, Steph Young said the temperature before the game was mm-hmm. 93. Yeah. Um, it was in the sun. It was hot out. It was a 6 p.m. local time kickoff. Um, so from a save your legs perspective, slowing the game down and kind of preventing much from happening other than passing sideways a lot um, has its merits. Uh, but it does lead to, it does kind of leave the door open for um, you know, Haiti hits the post on a penalty kick just before halftime. Yeah. Um, that's a big, that's a big problem. Um, and, and, you know, going back to the difference in the attack with, um, with having Morgan there and, you know, Vlatko has said repeatedly that with Morgan and Hatch, the nine is looking to get in behind more mm-hmm. often and not check back as much. Right. Um, one thing that that does do is it, it reduces your options for the, the line breaking pass that doesn't break all the lines. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it just, you can break one or two because, you know, maybe your midfield can move the rest of the players around. And all of a sudden there's an opening to go from Alana cook to Macario's feet. Um, that isn't, it's not that it's not available. It's not that Morgan didn't, check back and combine. I think the best moment the U S had in the game from a attacking perspective actually did involve Morgan functioning as a setup player mm-hmm. uh, for Ashley Sanchez in the second half. Um, but it's not there as often. And I think you're, you know, when you say, is it too much? It was too much. Mm-hmm. Um, this team still needs to find a way to, yeah, especially with the form. Sophia Smith has been in and, and Pew in Chicago as well. You have to find a way to stretch teams out, mm-hmm. um, find some more diagonals. And, and they weren't, it, it's not that they can't, maybe it is that they can't a little bit with the personnel. Um, mm-hmm. Cook and Sauerbrunn don't historically play this pass for their teams. Yeah, that's um, true. National team or club team. Um, the, this is a U.S. squad without Abby Dahlkemper, without Tierna Davidson, who both historically have been that player. 
yep. um, to play these these longer diagonals out to a player like Smith or a player like Pew. And that element isn't there right now. And I think they it allowed Haiti to play that mid block um, mm-hmm. that really, you know, Haiti switched into that mid block and it really did kind of stop the U.S. from doing what they wanted anymore. Right. Um, and the U.S. didn't challenge, didn't force them to say, like, well, maybe we can't play this mid block anymore. Maybe we need to drop back again. Right. Um, because they didn't have this pass to to give that, you know, element of pause in their mind. So Haiti said we're going to Haiti changed their their approach to the game three times in the first half, mm-hmm. um, which is fun to keep track of. But it was also like it just kept coming. And then finally, they found one that the U.S. was like, well, hold on. I don't I'm not exactly right. what's sure going on here. This. Right. And then, like you said, you know what, like 50 minutes go by without really much occurring for the U.S. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, against. Haiti did about as well as as they could, um, but against a you know a team like Canada, possibly Mexico, if we right. see the good version of Mexico, which we haven't yet in the tournament, um, this could be a worry. This is kind of a, a good blueprint for teams that are just a little more experienced to uh, to pounce on. Yeah, and let's talk about that a little bit too. So let's talk about when the momentum shifted more in Haiti's favor, um, which again I think. You know, they don't call it the most dangerous scoreline for nothing. I do think the U.S. took their foot off the gas a little bit after they go 2-0 up. Um, and and I, I have one more thought about Alex Morgan, which I'll, I'll save, I think, to the second half. But um, then Haiti gets these moments in transition where the U.S. midfield has pushed forward. There's a turnover of some kind, whether due to a passing disconnect or becoming dispossessed by going it alone, one of those two options. And then the defense got caught out. Now, there was, the I think, the most, the one that got uh, highlighted on TV and the one that I think a number of people have written about already is the moment where Alana Cook is pushed forward. And I'm mm-hmm. not sure it was her turnover, but it was something where it looked very clearly like she needed to make a recovery run that didn't quite happen. Becky Sauerbrunn steps wrong. And then once she steps wrong, Sauerbrunn's not going to be able to compete for pace um, mm-hmm. to catch up. And so Casey Murphy has to come out and save the day. Mm-hmm. Now, is that something that in the middle of a tournament you can fix? Now, I want to be clear with this they're missing two starting center backs right now. This is the U S not at full strength in this position. They've lost a number of key positional players. Like you said, should we be expecting better in terms of the communication back there? And is this a worry against say like a bunny Shaw or uh, Diana Ordonez in the future? Uh, I think so. Yeah. Um, I, I think, uh, it, it is a problem of communication, but it is also one I think that can be addressed a little more quickly because um, these aren't these aren't the kind of mistakes that look to me at least like mistakes that are so substantial that like oh there's just a total incompatibility between the players. Right. Agreed. This look this looked to me more just like a game where the players were just not fully connected for whatever reason, mm-hmm. um, and that goes to them. That goes to their connection to the midfield. That goes to their connection with um, Casey Murphy. I thought um, on the post-game show, uh, Bryce Scurry brought up uh, a little bit of a concern about the communication that the defenders were getting from mm-hmm. their goalkeeper. And we have to, you know, we have to remember that Murphy has what six caps. Yep. I think this was her first official competitive game for the U.S. Yep, um, with something on the line. Um, Alyssa Nair has this long-term relationship with these players. She knows how to talk to them and organize them in a way that they're super familiar with. And in the moment, maybe it's just different words being chosen that don't trigger the urgency in the same, the same, you know, we're talking about such small margins that right. um, those things do matter. Um, it did look just in general, like there was a little bit of a disconnect in that group. And it does make me wonder what has training been? Has training been so focused on breaking down low blocks? Mm-hmm we've all been talking about for the, with this team for like a month and a half. Um, has it been so focused on breaking down low blocks that this other aspect has not gotten as much as many reps. And therefore we're looking at players who are all of a sudden having to think through the thing rather than do it in the moment. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, it, it did look like something is up, but I do think it's also with these players in particular, I think it's more of a, you know, film session 
I would think a film session and maybe a walkthrough yeah. um, and you get much, a much better uh, recognition because, you know, to their credit, this is a group that the, the players, um, Cook, Sauerbrunn, Sullivan, they're going to learn quickly. Yeah. Um, and I think Scurry even said like, this is the kind of thing that maybe could be sorted by just having a, getting together real quick in someone's room and talking through it. Right. Um, and I think it should go beyond that. It should be the coaching staff should address it as well with film and or, you know, walk through a training because they don't have time to do proper training sessions, um, right. uh, a, a normal thing, but they can do walkthroughs and they can um, work through things that way. And I, I, they should be able to solve it. Um, obviously, against Jamaica in a couple of days, we'll see if they did. Yeah. Yeah. I think all of that makes sense. And then maybe the next question is, you know, I think we saw we saw, you know, solving it caught out a little bit on occasion, saw um, the center backs struggle one in isolation, essentially. And they were doing that because the fullbacks push up. The fullbacks are a big part of the attack. Um, Emily Fox, I think, is playing exactly the way Vladko wants her to. He wants her pushing forward and drifting centrally. That is, I, I believe, something that she has been told to do. With the center back personnel that the U.S. has. So we've got Naomi Gurma, Emily Sonnet, Alana Cook, Becky Sauerbrunn. Do they have the pace in the back to be able to recover with that style of play with the understanding that teams are going to push forward? They're going to take their chances. It it might be a little bit of a concern, yeah. um, you know, especially when, like you, you mentioned with Cook, the the. Uh, the the recognition of I need to be sprinting wasn't right. fast enough. Yeah. Um, which to be frank, I've, I, th- I think we've both seen this in the league a little bit too. It hasn't mm-hmm. been that, that often um, because NWSL games are a little more open. It's a little less about pure counter counterattack prevention. Right. Um, I think the U S is also cognizant of that problem. You mentioned this uh, during the game. Uh, the fact that the U S seemed so focused on those countermeasures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think they are aware of it. I think they know that it, it is potentially an issue yeah. that they have to minimize and they seem to play with that in mind. They didn't necessarily succeed um, at shutting it down as much as I think everyone expects them to. Um, but they were thinking about it and there were spells where they were doing a very good job of it. Yeah. Um, it's just that, the ball at all. Yeah. Right. Uh, it's just that there were also times where when Haiti did get the ball in some space, what happened after that and, and, and Haiti to their credit, they were looking for it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, they very quickly realized that if they could get uh Dumornay running at either center back, that it might work out. Now, granted, you know, every team in the world wants their center forward running at a center back. Um, especially when, you know, the players got some dribbling ability and some cleverness like Dumornay. Dumornay did not play like uh, an 18-year-old just starting no, she out. Was, um, yeah, she was fantastic. She looks like she's going to be a very special player. Um, but yeah, the U.S. is not like you You mentioned the forwards that are coming. Um, it's not going to get easier. Um, mm-hmm. You're They're not going to be playing a team where you're like, well, their nine isn't particularly good um, when you look at the rest of the tournament. Um, so yeah, it's something that the U S should be, uh, they seem to be aware of. They just have to, I think, follow their, their caution about that, their ability to hide it. I think they just need to execute a little better. I think this was more of a problem on the field than it was from the sidelines. If that makes sense. That does make sense. Right. And, and the good news is that they win three, nothing and they try to get, you know, to do better next time. Um, so speaking again about pace, this is probably my last question about the negatives. Cause I do want to get into the positives. Cause there were some really good, there were some good things out of this game as well. Um, well, one of the positives is I thought Andy Sullivan looked unencumbered in, in this game. I thought that she looked about as healthy as we've seen her, um, mm-hmm. in some time, Jason, I'm going to put you on the spot. How hurt do you think Lindsay Horan is? And do you think when she's getting criticized for her pace of play, mm-hmm. that might be an element that she truly cannot improve upon before this tournament is over? Uh, it, it is starting to become, uh, I think, a concern at this point. Watching yeah. watching her, um, it's just the, the quick, when she has to go quickly. And mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not talking about long sprints. I'm talking about, you know, does she need to take three hard steps to her left to change the angle? Um, it's just not happening as fast as it normally would. And we, everyone can see the issue with her knee. Um, yes. the, the meme that went around about how her nickname at Lyon is potato because her knee swells up, which is, 
it's dark humor yeah. um, because it's literally her, it's body horror as well. It's right. like literally her knee is getting large enough that people are comparing it to a potato. Um, she is clearly playing through it and it's, it is hampering her, I think. Yeah. Um, and I also, you know, with no medical training, I can't say for sure, but it, it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that can just be like, Oh, Oh, we can do this, this, and this, and it'll go away right. in, within this tournament it's going to be there throughout the tournament. Um, her, her, the knee problem is one that she is. And there were some times in this game where she grimaced um, yeah. trying to get up off the ground, things like that. Like, I think it is clearly one to watch. She grabbed um, There was one point where she uh, took some contact and she grabbed her knee despite the contact, not being yes. on that knee. And mm-hmm. so that's where you're like, this is, this person is already in pain. Yes. And so any sort of jerking around is, is making that worse. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, it, it brings to mind something that happened to me uh, when I, I hurt my ankle playing indoor soccer and then was trying to play with it because when you're in your twenties, you do things that are stupid. Um, <laughs> and just, just like a, a kick to my shin would make my ankle wobble just mm-hmm. a little bit. And that wobble was where the pain, the real pain was. Um, and it does, you know, there's not th- that much they can do other than ask her, like, is it, is it too painful for you to be at your best? And she it gives them an answer and that's, that's pretty much it. Um, yeah. it's not going to improve. Um, I, I feel like it means that Christy Mewis is going to be very important in this tournament. Yeah. I um, mean, it also maybe explains the extra eight, right? They bring Korniak mm-hmm. as well. Maybe the answer is that they felt better about where Sullivan was fitness wise, even maybe than Haran. Mm-hmm. So you bring the extra eight instead of the extra six. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, they're probably going to need to lean on those players. Yeah. Um, especially if they, you know, if they take the decision that, okay, Haran's not at her best, but we, we can, she's still well enough to play these knockout games. Right. You know, I don't think she's going to play against Jamaica. Um, I would be surprised. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but it, it would make sense to me if, if they said, like, we're giving her like they probably won't even say we're giving her the game off. She'll just be in uniform and they'll say it's rotation and that's it. But, you know, realistically, it's can we get this knee a little in a little bit better place for six days from now mm-hmm. against Mexico um, and then the knockouts. But, yeah, those players are going to have to step in. Uh, for sure. And it does bring up the, the concern people have had um, at the six is who's the backup. Right. Um, and it has seemed like Haran is the backup, but if right. Haran is already someone that also needs to be uh, rotated yeah, right. as it possibly uh, appears, then it's, it could be, it could be nothing. Um, uh, Sullivan, you know, as much as this season has been interrupted by injury, the timing of a lot of these things has sort of it's sort of, it's the classic U S thing where a lot of these recovery plans are well-designed to get a player back for a tournament. We've seen right. it so many times with, with Julie Ertz or Megan Rapino, or it's like a decade of examples. Um, mm-hmm. And this does appear to be another one. Like you said, she, she wasn't having trouble getting around. There was no, um, she didn't look slow to me and I'm, I'm used to watching her in person um, yeah. and on TV quite a bit with the spirit. So yeah, I, I think that side of it is, you're right that maybe the midfielder to worry about uh, in terms of an injury is not Sullivan, which is maybe where people were worried. Right. Um, but yeah, Haran. <laughs> some some smoke and mirrors from right. from U.S. soccer to be like, ah, yes, Andy Sullivan, focus on her. Don't pay attention <laughs> to what's going on with Potato right. over here. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah. And I think I mean, I, I thought ultimately, right game goes kind of weird. And I w- I'll close with that. I think maybe my one other thought, because I don't want to forget this is just. I think what people saw with the attack, I'm just kind of going to agree with you real quick is, uh, or at least what I saw in the attack is that Alex Morgan is still a very, very good finisher. And when she gets a little bit of separation in behind a line, um, she is going to be able to score goals against pretty much every team. She has the capability to score goals against pretty much every team in this competition. There were moments between her and Smith and her and Pew, and you could almost see the wheels turning in those two heads thinking this wasn't the plan (laughs) a little bit. And there were just some moments where the anticipation of the run just wasn't quite the same. Um, The expectation of where the ball will be, where the ball is going, wasn't quite there. And so 
I also think that will improve as this tournament goes on. Alex Morgan famously did not get a ton of time with these two in the structure mm-hmm. before starting this. So I do think that this is something that will come with time as well. But despite the nice moments, I do think there were moments where there was a little bit just like, this is not the person that I was expecting to be here. Mm. Um, so to talk, Oh, I had a thought and it flew right out of my head. Oh, um, Oh, I did. I remember what it is. Okay. So new young group, young, young team. Obviously they start Sauerbrunn. They start Morgan. They start O'Hara. That is a strong, uh, group of veterans, like, like super veterans, even Haran is obviously mm. at this point very much a veteran for this team, as is Lavelle. Um, it got very CONCACAF, as you mentioned at the beginning of the show. How did you feel like the U.S. handled the, the CONCACAFery? I thought it was pretty decent. I thought they kept their pretty level heads. Things went a bit weird with like the rescinded red card. They make some mistakes and they kind of get away with it, but also that can seep into your head a little bit. Emily Fox mm. in her first start in a competitive match, I believe. Um, mm. I thought they did okay with that part. Did you, Jason? Yeah, I think so. Um, especially when, you know, this wasn't, there were the game against Columbia. I even wrote about this, about how it seemed like Columbia got under their skin a little bit. Yeah. Pretty notably, Ashley Hatch, uh, frankly, yes, got with away with a little with bit one. of a lashing out. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, after after being shoved multiple times, finally had had enough and, yeah. and got caught uh, retaliating. I don't think Haiti was looking to do that. No, um, I agree. To, to one thing, um, they were not looking to provoke as Columbia was. Um, so that that made it a little easier, but they did get the CONCACAF stressor from elsewhere, which is that red card, which right. I, I mean, that that's got to be like a, a a very dark shade of uh, of red or possibly yeah, purple. Right. Um, a burgundy fact, card. Right. Yeah. The, the fact that we see the referee get it right and then it gets you know, it's like the nightmare of VAR rather than like, right. oh, VR, VAR helped. Uh, instead, it's like VAR actively made things worse. Um yeah, the, the U.S., you know, they they had their moment of being mad pretty famously mm-hmm. turned into a meme immediately by yeah. um, the, the photo of, of Kelly O'Hara showing her injury and Alex the Morgan. full her, cleat indent yes. in her side. You and, saw and every Morgan, single stud mark making a pattern uh, in her torso. Yeah. Yes. Um, and, and Alex Morgan very helpfully pointing, like not just pointing, but like actually making contact with yes. O'Hara to really emphasize where the in- injury is. And then Lindsay um, Horan pointing in the direction of where Alex Morgan was also yeah, pointing. Just, yeah, just right. a series of players pointing at each other so that yeah. no one could miss it. But um, no, they they it was this was obviously very bad news uh, for the U.S. to have this happen and not get the call to go the the way they did. Um, but they seem to just sort of be like, all right, yeah. you know, some sometimes you go to the grocery store and they don't have the the thing that you wanted, and you just got to go cook something else. Um, and they it also felt it felt to me like that purse goal was similar, right? Where she mm-hmm. had one get get called rightly yes. called called offside. They had two two chances that, that did make it to the back of the net that were called offside. They were offside, not a problem, mm-hmm. but the reaction was not any sort of compounding frustration. It was, all right, we'll get the next one. And I think that that element was felt very good as well. And I think that, yeah. I think that the U S probably walked away from this game feeling much better having gotten that third rather mm-hmm. than having it just be those two. And then a little bit of luck to keep it from being two, one or even two, two. Yeah. That there's a, and I think with this young group uh, in particular, there's not a, it's not a very brittle group. Yeah. Um, they do not seem like when you watch them in NWSL, they're not a group that, um, you know, a game gets difficult or, you know, a bad call goes against them or whatever. And they tend to sort of get, go within themselves and play quietly from there. Um, and, and purse is a perfect example. She has the goal called back for offside. Uh, and within what 90 seconds, um, she has a second chance that the goalkeeper did well to stop. It was a pretty good save. Yep. Um, and so that's two things back to back that should have told purse like, well, maybe tonight's not your night to score. And then it's about 90 seconds after that, that she yep. scores. Right. Um, and, and scores with a bloody nose on top of that. Yes. Um, right. <laughs> so, um, these, this is not a group that gets deterred very easily. And so that is, that's going to be important. Um, Maybe not a, not so much against Jamaica, which is going to be a different kind yeah. of challenge. But, you know, that Mexico game right. is going to be, I assume, a very large crowd. It's probably mostly- going to be the most ant- antagonistic uh, a crowd that they've 
um, scene. Oh gosh. Since France in France, maybe I have to think yeah, perhaps maybe, and maybe even more. Cause I, I know yeah. some people that were at that game and they're like, there were a lot of people there that were also just for the U S yeah. Um, this might be the most hostile crowd they've, they've had in a decade. Um, since maybe Mexico them. again in 2010. Yeah. 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 And, and so they, the young, the young players, the, the older players, they've been through a lot of these things before they, they seem primed for it. The younger players, it just doesn't seem to, to get at them, yeah. um, which is a really positive sign that, that you don't have to necessarily think, well, is this player ready for that occasion? Right. Um, uh, and now I don't know if that's how the, th- the team thinks of it internally. Um, right. We do seem to still see a little bit of an, um, you know, experience hierarchy playing out in certain positions. Yeah. But I personally, I don't think that they, I'm not worried about the mindset of purse playing against Mexico. I don't think that's going to throw that. her off. Well, and um, I also I think to a certain extent, I mean, not to, we shouldn't equate it to the men because it's its own thing, but I think that, um, there is a, you talked about Tigris and, and how, hmm. um, gracious they've been as hosts and, and Monterey I'm sure will be as well. And just, um, there, it's good vibes right now. I'm sure it'll be a healthy, a very healthy sense of competition when that game comes. But um, it does feel like as of right now, uh, it's not there's no, I, people aren't playing up too much. This idea of, right. of being somewhere where where people aren't rooting for your success. Um, mm-hmm. This is probably a good chance to pivot over, pivot over to the second game of the day, because this is going to be a big deal for the U.S. And in a way, I mean, obviously, this group stage is the stakes are are very particular, right? You want to make top two, you make top two, you're going to the world cup. That's, you know, most of the job done. Obviously the U S is going for the Olympic spot as well, but get that done first. Mm-hmm. Obviously also, I'm not sure people were circling Haiti as the difficult, the most difficult game in this group. However, you kind of look at the way this is going to play out, but it's an important three points. Like it really is. The teams that win the first game are set up even just mentally in a way that the, the teams that did not are mm. not. And this is where Jamaica versus Mexico comes in because Jamaica beat Mexico one to nothing off a goal from Bunny Shaw. There were chances on both sides. Um, could have easily been a one one uh, tie or it could have been three nothing Jamaica. It, it mm-hmm. really could have gone a variety of different ways. It didn't just ended one nil. Now, this is a problem for Mexico mm-hmm. because first of all, Jamaica is a good team. It is not outside the realm of possibility that they draw the U S on Thursday. Yep. And if that happens, the, that almost makes the game against the U S a dead rubber match. It almost takes the significance out of it entirely. Now the third place team in each group is going to go to the intercontinental playoff I actually like both Jamaica and Mexico's chances, but that's not what Mexico wanted out of this tournament. They are hosting. This is year five of Liga MX Femenil. I just did X and X at the same time. Uh, this is, you know, uh, Monica Vergara's big debut with the mm-hmm. senior team in a competitive tournament. They've been running over the competition for the first half of the year, including the preliminary stages of CONCACAF W. And then I know people were critical of the starting 11, which I think is fair. Um, We criticized Andonovsky for hyper rotation. I think Vergara might have overthought this one as well. Mm -hmm. Maybe caught herself looking ahead a little bit. Um, but Jamaica is a good team and, and Mexico had chances, but they didn't quite take them. So give me your take on first, just the game itself and maybe more Mexico's inability to get an equalizer. Yeah. And, and, you know, after there was that, that crazy chance where Ordonez, uh, you know, is on the goal line almost it was an awkward situation, but it is on the goal line ball ends up on the post. You just don't see one like that very often. Yes. Um, but after that, Jamaica had the better chances. Um, yep despite not having that much of the ball. Um, yeah, this was, this was not good for Mexico. It was not a good performance. Um, it wasn't good from an individual perspective. The players on the field, I think played at, you know, most of them played le- less well than you would expect. 
Um, and then on top of that, I don't think it was a good tactical performance. Um, Lauren Donaldson seemed to know exactly what was coming. I think there was a quote after the game where he said, yeah, we, the things Mexico were, uh, did in the game, we knew that they were going to do them. Mm-hmm. Um, and they really effectively said, we're not going to let Maria Sanchez beat us. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to have to play on the other side of the field. Um, we're also not going to let them beat us through the middle. Um, they, they got, I know um, Havana Salon probably caught quite a bit of flack online for the yeah, penalty for kick. A missed penalty. Yeah. But she and Drew Spence uh, playing central midfield uh, in this four, two, three, one that Jamaica had, they were really effective at making sure the center backs weren't exposed very often. Um, and basically Mexico from there, they looked at the problem and said, like, let's throw some crosses at this thing and see yeah. what happens. And I think it was 39 or something like that. Yeah. Um, and it was not what they needed. Um, it wasn't a good approach to this game and they didn't seem even when they made subs, um, when, when Jackie Ovalle came in, I think she had some good ideas, but no one was thinking on the same wavelength. So she would drift inside and look to combine and there's no one to combine with. And so she has to, to keep the ball. It becomes like, well, what's everyone else looking for? I'll play that. And what everyone else is looking for is another chance to hit, hit a cross. Right. Um, and so they just kept hitting crosses and they never really changed their, um, their approach to this one. And, and, you know, Jamaica made some bets that it, you know, you look at the lineup and you say, okay, if I've got a bet on which flank to beat me, I'm going to, you know, bet on our ability to withstand Delgadillo over Sanchez. That, that turned out to be a very good bet. Delgadillo got pulled um, early in the second half. And I think it was a, this wasn't a, you're out of gas substitution. This was yeah. a, this isn't working. We have to change. We can't leave you out there for any longer. Um and yeah, it, it it just it wasn't a very effective performance from Mexico on the ball or off the ball. That's why Jamaica had better chances because their their ability to prevent the counter in a contrast with the US, it was almost non-existent at times. They really struggled to prevent Jamaica's counters and and Jamaica probably should have not just with the penalty, they probably should have scored another goal from open play. Their goal right. was on a set piece. Um, but they should have found more. Um, it, it should have, it should be an alarming performance for Mexico. I feel like. Yeah. And it also just, I think performance combined with result makes the uphill climb look a little bit treacherous in that Haiti looked good. I don't think that that's a team that Mexico can overlook at all. Um, and then this sets up this final showdown with the U S where again, in saying that Haiti's no joke, they could get a result against Jamaica too. I actually, this group is, is really competitive. Um, does Mexico at this point have to at least tie the United States? Do you think to get second? Yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, I guess we'll, we'll know more after Thursday. Won't we? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But you know, um, uh, the this result really did kind of it kind of threw all the assumptions of how this was going to go. I didn't think it was going to be easy for Mexico, um, right. for Jamaica for sure, but I had this down mentally as a, a win for Mexico. And now, um, the pressure that they're going to be under to get results. And if you're Jamaica, you say, okay, we've got a real shot at this thing, yeah. Um, and if you're if you're Haiti based on the performance against the U.S., you've also got to say, and, and frankly based on watching uh, the way Mexico played. Yeah. You have to be looking at this and saying like, we're not out of this thing um, at all. Uh, We, we, we didn't get, it's not a goal difference problem. Three, nothing like the U S could easily win three, nothing against Jamaica and, and Mexico. Um, And so if you're Haiti, you say, okay, the damage limitation issue is not, we didn't have to worry about it. We got through that game. Yep. Um, the concern for me with Haiti is, is actually more fatigue because it seemed like their coach thinks that they have 11 players and that's it. Yeah. Um, right. He made his subs in stoppage time only. And that might be a problem. We, we'll see. I, I can't say, I can't speak to who he had available on the bench or why he went that route because my French is non-existent, but um, it is curious. Um, but I, I do think the group is kind of for everyone now is kind of up for grabs. It, it still should be the, the U S frankly should still be getting nine points in this yeah, group. Sure. But the, the, the weaknesses they showed combined with everybody else's performance, it does kind of, it does feel very wide open right now. Yeah. I, I had the thought this morning that I was like, man, I can't, I really can't wait for the next match day. I want to find out what happens because I really do not know what is going to happen next. 
Um, yeah, so some intrigue going into the Jamaica game. By the time we record again, the group stage will be over. So um, we will have those answers for the U.S.'s journey, for Mexico's, for Jamaica's, and for Haiti's. Uh, we are recording this before Group B plays. Not quite as competitive, I think, is the expectation. Um, it's one of those things where when the draw originally happened, you kind of hope that maybe Jamaica and Mexico would not be in the same group. Mm-hmm. Um, for some context, Haiti did actually beat Costa Rica two to nothing right before the tournament mm-hmm. started. If you're looking for a, a good test of like cross group depth, um, is there anything from match day two that, that you're looking at? Is it just sort of can Canada, I mean, how many goals can Canada score? Maybe what, what are you looking for here? Uh, I think with Canada, what I'm looking for is how they handle being the favorite yeah. um, because they are the clear favorite in this group. Um, and traditionally, Canada is more of a I think they feel more comfortable not being the favorite. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I feel the same about Mexico uh, uh, with the women's national team there as well. Um, but yeah, I, I, Canada is now for this is uncharted territory for them. They're entering the tournament as the last team to win a major international tournament. Yeah. Um, so there, there's a new kind of pressure that they're not used to um, with Costa Rica. You know, I, I've even seen some some discussion that apparently fans in Costa Rica are, are kind of um, kind of at their wits end with Valverde, um, which is a little bit of a surprise. And, and yeah. that result you mentioned um, losing to Haiti. Uh, is that who they are or was that a bad bad day at the office? Right. Um, so, yeah, they're how they play against Panama is going to be huge because. You know, we saw how close Panama came in the previous uh, yeah. set of qualifiers uh, a few years ago. Um, that was a super young team. A lot of those players are still around. Yep. Um, so you should you would expect them to be better. Um, so, yeah, that that first game is, I think, going to be very fascinating as to, you know, is Costa Rica in a good place mentally? Uh, mm-hmm. Is is, you know, what it what is happening with them that's causing this sort of angst? Can they get over it? Yeah. Um, because if, if they struggle against Panama, it kind of does it would, I don't think it's going to throw the group completely wide open. I think Canada should, even if they, even if they struggle, um, they should be able to post shutouts. I don't think yes. they're going to give up more than a goal in this group. Yeah. Um, they'll, they'll, they should win the group without problem, but, um, is Costa Rica, Panama sneakily a world cup playoff? Um, yeah, it might right. be cause I, I don't know what to expect from Trinidad. I don't want to leave them out of the discussion, but, right. um, it does seem on paper that they are uh, the team that is a clear likely to finish fourth candidate. Um, If they, if they can take a point off of somebody that would be huge for them. It it hasn't been the Trinidad and Tobago Federation for 20 to 30 years has been a huge problem at everything. Um, And so the fact that their team is even here is a minor triumph. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I, I mostly that first game I want to watch because I don't know. It's going to be the best game. I think it's going to be very tense, um, but it also means that it means a lot to these teams because Canada probably takes nine uh, points in this group. So who takes, I mean, there's a world cup berth on the line here. Yeah. Um, it's a big deal. And you have a team that is not in the best place mentally right now and, and an unknown quantity on the other side. So it's going to be fascinating for sure. Yeah. Very good. Well, that's kind of the CONCACAF rundown. Obviously, the Euros start this week as well. We might do a little bit of Euros chatter next time, but there's a lot to talk about. So we'll just leave it with CONCACAF for this week. Um, and this has been part one. We'll come back for a real quick, real quick roundup of a little bit of NWSL action after the break. All right. Welcome back to part two of this week's edition of the Equalizer podcast. I am your host, Claire Watkins, joined this week by Jason Anderson. Uh, please rate and review this podcast. Give us five stars. Give us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It helps people find us. We'll take a look at them, see the nicest one, and maybe even tweet it out. So please give us a review if you enjoy the show. So you would think, perhaps, that the only thing to talk about would be international soccer right now. But of course... That's not how the NWSL does it. There was a full weekend of NWSL play this weekend as well. We're in this period of, I think, maybe like three games where teams are without their internationals, um, which includes anybody playing in CONCACAF, Euros, uh, Copa America, Femenina, 
or even as I found perhaps even the Australian U 23s. Cause they pulled, mm-hmm. <laughs> they pulled uh they pulled a player from Chicago. So pretty much everybody is, is in an international period right now, except for the NWSL. We again saw some pretty rough availability reports, some accumulated stuff. It still kind of feels like some teams truly have never recovered from the challenge cup. We've talked about the schedule too much. We're going to skip it for this week. We're just going to be like, well, it is what it is. So, <laughs> Uh, narratives coming through the weekend, not that many, I would say narrative flippers or any sort of true surprises. Uh, the rain beat North Carolina, Portland got a late equalizer against Los Angeles, Kansas city defeated Houston, Chicago defeated Gotham, San Diego defeated Washington. And then the Orlando pride had actually a really nice comeback against racing Louisville, which was good to see because they have obviously been struggling Um, just in broad strokes. Jason, was there anything that that, uh, stuck out to you this weekend from, from NWSL? Uh, I was fascinated watching angel city try to navigate uh, that game, getting the goal almost, almost straight from kickoff. Mm -hmm. Um, the, the the classic NWSL uh, second what was it second or third minute goal that involves <laughs> a penalty kick that gets saved, um, yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah that that was an interesting one because I think they clearly looked exhausted um, and had to find a way through the game and the crowd I think at the bank uh, seemed on TV like they were really giving it everything they had to try and mm-hmm. try and get that team across the line. Um, Unfortunately for Angel City, a problem they ran into is that all of their defenders are injured um, yeah. or, or, or or are away on international duty. Um, and so they end up with June Endo having to play left back for a while in this mm-hmm. game. And Endo actually, I think, I believe was subbed out just for like literally being unable to run anymore. She had given it everything she had. Um, they end up with Danny Weatherholt, that left back, which Danny Weatherholt, I don't, I can't recall her ever playing left back before. Right. It was a like, who can sprint? Is anyone is anyone on this field able to sprint anymore? Uh, kind of situation, and that is you know they're unable to get out and shut the cross down, um, and they're unable to defend at the back post, and it's fatigue um, and inexperience. Um, you know Freya has caught a lot of flack for not subbing very much, and you know there's a lot of inexperience on that bench, and it kind of came through uh, at the end of this one, but it was still fascinating to see them sort of navigate that because it's a challenge that uh they haven't had a ton of um where they're under that much pressure for that long and hanging on um so it's it's at least a learning experience for them yeah it's um i would say for me you know getting a point against portland is is not a bad result uh but it is kind of interesting how angel cities like their highs and their lows sometimes they do like they're doing a nice job. Angel City is is still in playoff position at this moment. They're currently in sixth. They were in sixth mm-hmm. last week. They didn't go down in in the standings at all this weekend. And yet it still just feels like you're waiting for the wheels to fall off. And maybe mm-hmm. that's my my fault, but like you said, and we've talked about this before, they're getting good results, but it's so labored that at yes. some point it takes you so much. Yeah, and you feel eventually like we're halfway through the season. They've got half a season to go. And that lack of rotation, I do think will be an issue, whether it is in, you know, muscle injury, or like you said, in experience when players do see the field. Um, I think maybe, you know, you wait for teams to sort of rise without internationals or sort of fall without internationals. Um, I think Chicago dropping three goals on Gotham was a little bit surprising, uh, I'll, I'll ask you this. And I asked you this last time for Gotham. When we look at the stats, some, sometimes they get dominated and, and it's not really a, a close game at all, but we're seeing again, we saw sort of statistically it not feel like a three, nothing game. Mm. It, are they just having a lot of really bad luck or is this due to the way that they are playing that we're getting kind of these, they hit the post, they hit the crossbar, close calls, whatever, but it's just not working for them. At some point, is that a systemic failure? 
I, I think so. Um, yeah. the, the way they started this game, um, you know, the balance of 90 minutes maybe doesn't feel three nothing, but yeah. the first half hour felt three nothing loss yeah. at home. Right. Um, and, and credit to Chicago for just taking advantage of it. Um, but yeah, Gotham definitely, they seem to come out uh, not prepared for Chicago and Chicago is doing what Chicago does. Yeah. Um, the only thing that was unusual about the way Chicago approached the game was that for the first 10 to 20 minutes, it seemed like Yuki Nagasato was playing deeper and Vanessa DiBernardo was playing further up. And mm-hmm. then they switched back to their more normal look after that. That was about it. Um, yeah. And it actually, it almost, it almost kind of backfired in Chicago that that early giveaway they had that nearly turned into a goal. Yes, for the Nagasato giveaway. Right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but other than that, it was very much like, oh, yeah, I've seen this Red Stars team play a bunch. Um, I, I know what I'm expecting. Gotham did not seem to know what they were expecting. Yeah. Um, they did. I'll give them some credit that the halftime, they made a halftime double sub and it seemed like they switched um, to a, a sort of a flexible formation that included a lot of back three that allowed them to go one V one all over the field. Um, but where like why do you need to get to halftime and be down to nothing to make that adjustment um it's it's not like gotham system has been working so well all year that you say let's let's commit to it again uh for another game if you felt like dealing with chicago required a radical change like that maybe it was to be brought in at kickoff instead i i don't i i don't really it's it was the right adjustment, but it's also you shouldn't need to have that first half before you realize and make the adjustment. Yeah, I think that's all, all making sense to me. Um, and then, yeah, I think like the one other thing that sticks out to me is we do now have Kansas City kind of knocking on the playoff pictures mm-hmm. door a little bit with their result against Houston. Obviously, Houston is missing a ton of internationals and it's not just U.S. players, right? It's it's a wide widespread absences for them, but Kansas city, it's like they kind of had their big absences happen at the very beginning of the season. And it feels like, especially with the trade that they make made a couple weeks ago, mm-hmm. like they are figuring it out with the group that they have and they're starting to look dangerous in pretty much every game that they play. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think, Jason? I mean, we can even just kind of tie this into maybe, you know, North Carolina and Washington both did not get results this weekend. They need to start picking up points. Otherwise, they're going to be in trouble. I think Kansas City is going to try to make a run of their own and sort of mm-hmm. spoil the plans of perhaps the 2021 playoff teams. Do they feel like they're picking up steam to you? Yeah, for sure. Uh, as they come to grips with exactly how they want to play under Potter, the the there there's a clarity in what they're trying to do by high pressing teams and just making it difficult to, to do what you want to do. Um, they're good at it. Um, they, there is a, a, a certain ceiling on them because they, they built this team to play um, this way and have Sam Mewis and Lynn Williams as the players that can really lift them to the next level. Those players have been unavailable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think to their credit, they're still finding a way to be dangerous. Um and, and, you know, not also don't want to take credit away from the players that are available because it's not like they have a bunch of players who are inexperienced or unremarkable. Um, but they, they, there is a certain ceiling there that they seem to be to their credit playing up to. Mm-hmm. Um, not a lot of teams are up at that ceiling um, at this moment in time. It doesn't feel like we're seeing the best out of most teams around the league. Um, Kansas city is really, you know, close to a hundred percent right now. Um so yeah, I think their game this weekend against the Spirit uh, out at Segra Field, yeah, it feels like a sneaky important game for the league this year. Yeah. Um but with uh, you know, the Spirit, it's one win in 11. That's every game now for them is very important, but yep. um when you're talking about two teams that are on the outside looking in, uh those are those are big points. Um and, and you know, it's kind of an inflection moment where um coming out of this this particular weird moment for everybody um, is it's kind of kind of set up the stretch run. You're going to see teams that are struggling right now, um, maybe not have that ability to bounce, you know, get that morale bounce coming out of uh, out of the summer and getting their internationals back. They, the direction they're in might be the direction they're in for a little while. So yeah, um, that that's a huge game this weekend, in my opinion, um, because, you know, Kansas city, you're right. Is uh 
they aren't just making up the numbers. I, th- I think they're also, you know, that trade underlines their ambition. This yep. is not an organization that wants to finish seventh this year. Yep. Um, they want playoff games. They want to bring a playoff game to Children's Mercy Park. Yeah. Um, before they move into their new place, they want to bring a playoff game uh, to their their temporary uh, digs. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that that's um, that ambition is real there. And and they they do need to find a way to be more effective in front of goal uh, chance creation wise, but they're still causing teams problems every week. You don't see them have a game where you're like, Oh, Kansas city was poor this weekend. It's always like, well, they lost, but it wasn't, you know, they, they made it difficult for whoever it was. And then maybe my final question, you, you mentioned Washington, right? Washington's played 11 games, which is really the concern more than anything is just that they are eventually going to run out of opportunities to pick those points back up. I think maybe my final question is, you know, North Carolina loses two to nothing against the rain. Um, the rain are a great team. They brought in the right people, I think, for this particular period. Right. Kim Little gets the start. Mm. Um, but North Carolina is is three games, they, you know, three games back in terms of games played against Washington two really against the rest of the league. Um, they are seven points off of a playoff spot at this moment. Who are you more worried about the spirit or the courage at this moment? That one's tough. Um, you know, I, I, the games in hand are a big deal, but I'm, I'm looking at the standings right now and North Carolina has lost all of their home games in the league yeah. this year. Right. Um, and that used to be, you used to just assume that a team goes to North Carolina, they're going to lose. Yeah. Um, so they've been vulnerable at home in a way they haven't been in the past. Um on the other hand with the, and, and you know, I'll say this about the spirit in the final minutes of their game, we got to see maybe more of the on paper spirit during this window where Tara Mickey is back and, and clearly added something to their attack that hasn't been there um, in a while. Um, uh, Jordan Baggett came in, scored a goal, mm-hmm. um, which is pretty remarkable in and of itself. Um, but also that adds uh, a certain amount of, of fluency to their play that they're getting players back. And so I think, I think we haven't seen the real spirit. Um, whereas maybe we have seen the real courage. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, that, that three games is it's tough. Um, it's tough to get around that. The spirit, I think are in a situation where I would say their next two games, they've got two at home. It's Kansas city and then Orlando at Audi field. I think they have to win those games to stay real, have a realistic uh, playoff hope. Um, whereas North Carolina, they do have that little extra margin for error. So I, I guess I'm coming down on um, a little more worried for the spirit, frankly. Yeah, I think that maybe my only counter that I'm not sure I, I truly believe, but I, I may be going back to that 4-3 loss uh, mm-hmm. against Houston. That was pretty much North Carolina's first choice 11 in that game. Now, you know, mm-hmm. They had all their internationals there. Many of them scored um, in that shootout kind of a match. Um, I think the issue for North Carolina, and maybe this is the issue for Washington as well, is even when North Carolina has everybody available that they would like to have, a win is not guaranteed for them. Right. And that, I think, has to be a concern Yes, the game's in hand, but even if those turns and in, turn into draws, that advantage goes away very quickly. So mm-hmm. um, am I shocked that they lost 2 nothing to the rain this weekend? No. Do I think that it really indicates the quality of the team? Also, no. But you go back to some of the other performances this season and you're like, well, it's not significantly better in terms of result with these other players available. Mm-hmm. So then the fact that this weekend was a bit of a wash just doesn't help, I guess is maybe where I'm at with it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and to, to underline that, I think that maybe, maybe what connects these two teams is the goals they've given up have not been, um, it, it's been mistakes, yeah. right? You see, it's not so much structural problems with, as you see with like, Orlando has looked like a team that can't stop giving up goals for many reasons. Um, The spirit and the courage, it keeps coming back to individual mistakes. Mm -hmm. Um, The the spirit this weekend, their second goal, the goal that that ultimately loses them the game is an individual mistake. Um, The courage have given up several goals that are turnovers or things like that that are avoidable. Um, But it's not like those teams aren't working on correcting those. And yet it, it continues to happen. Um, 
And so I'm kind of, uh, that is kind of the thing that should be worrying them both is the problem isn't going away necessarily. We aren't seeing evidence of, we're seeing some evidence of some of their problems going away, but the thing that's really getting them is mistakes um, rather than, you know, yes, the spirit will get some firepower back as these, these players all slowly get back to full fitness. Um, but is it going to be enough if they keep coughing up goals because the, the first team spirit uh, with, you know, with Sonnet back there as well with uh, the other national team players, they were still coughing up goals in ways that were like, you know, this doesn't look like last year's spirit. Uh, the, the whole thing was they defended so well and the courage are also a team that notoriously doesn't give up a lot of goals at home. And suddenly it seems like teams can go there and be like, we can get a goal or two here for sure. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what happens. I think, North Carolina are going to be a shootout team and they just don't necessarily have the uh, weapons right now to mm-hmm. win those kinds of shootouts. Um, well, thank you so much, Jason, for joining me. Obviously I had to cut this off a little bit, but no time to talk about every single thing that happened. Um, and there's going to be even more next week, but um, yeah, we'll be back with a lot of clarity on what happens in CONCACAF, the beginning of the Euros group stages, obviously some tough news out of Spain today that Alexia Piteas is likely not going to be in the tournament at all, which sucks. Um, and yeah, so we'll, we'll definitely have stuff to talk about. Thank you, Jason, for joining me. I have been your host, Claire Watkins. Shout out to our producer extraordinaire, Jacqueline Purdy, and our distributor, Blue Wire Podcast. We will be back with you next week.